Jim Nasser is Vice President of Technology and Innovation at Synchrogenics, where he spearheads strategy and implementation of emerging technologies such as large-scale blockchain and machine learning in healthcare and life sciences. He previously served as Chief Software Architect for the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In this episode, Jim walks us through the critical requirements of data interoperability and how designing for machine-to-machine data transfer is the most critical of architectural decisions. Jim, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you, Lech. Thank you for the invitation. Fantastic. So why don't you just give your two, three-minute story for the audience, and then we'll jump into some more uh, discussion around different topics. I'm really a technologist by profession. Uh, I've been doing large-scale software implementation for at least a couple of decades now. Uh, I had my own company for quite some time, about 12 years or so, largely with, with large-scale unstructured data and unstructured content. Did quite a bit of work with the government and, and things like this. And then and after a while, I decided that it was a good chance, a good opportunity to kind of move on, do some other things. And then uh, that kind of led me, after a little bit of time, to, to work at the, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention right here in Atlanta, where I'm based. I started as an entrepreneur in residence because of my, my background private sector and technology background and, and you know after after a little while it became evident that the, the job at hand was to really revisit how software was developed because uh, you know we're in the business I, I still work with the CDC so <laughs> that's the collective we uh, we're in the business of public safety and, and providing information flow for things that are very important to all of us as humans such as infectious diseases and outbreaks and, and preventing uh, disasters happening and things like this and in many ways, really, the systems that were there were, were not designed for that, were not designed certainly for internet scale and, and real-time or near real-time data flow. And, and that, was, that was really my agenda there and, and very much down the path of building open technologies, microservices, deployed as APIs, deployed to production as, as containers, as in decoupled form and things like this. And that led me down the path of, of blockchain as well and, and, and you know, where blockchain could potentially fit into public health and, and some of the, the use cases there. And then at the beginning of this year, I joined a company in, in the pharmaceutical space, uh, in the life sciences space called Satara, and very much with the intention of, of building kind of a large-scale open set of open technologies, including where it makes sense, uh, distributed ledger technologies, to really address the, the large, very large problem in life sciences and pharma around interoperability, around uh, software that, that meets really market needs in, in, in quick turnaround and, and provides this set of you know open protocols and open technologies that we can mix and match. So my work uh, you know, in, in kind of to bring it all together is uh, around this technology uh, or this platform matter called Open Pharma uh, and, and very much with the intention of, of building small uh, kind of functional components that can be mixed and matched together and, and meet a bigger set of applications. Quite a collection of activities there. You know, and you can definitely see the arc of the career going to where, you know, you're solving major problems using more modern architectures, patterns, and approaches, you know, like you said, at, at internet scale, uh, what have you learned in there that that's applicable maybe for, you know, anybody, uh, any size company that's trying to approach and and deal with these massive uh, interoperability and data concerns? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. There's a few kind of key patterns that come out. One is from inception, think um, machine readable, think machine uh, to machine interaction, 
if, if you think like that, that will guide you significantly and, and they'll hopefully you'll avoid some pitfalls in terms of, particularly in terms of how you architect data. Because ultimately, if you're not thinking like that at this stage, you're not building for internet scale, right? I think we're very much in the world of machine to machine, you know, software to software, API to API, really, as opposed to kind of like, you know, like a medical device to, to uh, you know, to another medical device, per se. Thinking like that will, will, will certainly clarify some design concepts in your mind. I think another thing, and this is really regardless of, of interoperability or, or internet scale is all to do with usability. I think we're very much in, in the world of consumer-grade technology. Uh, it needs to work on the phone, um, without doubt. Uh, it needs to have a very intuitive user experience. It needs to have security. It needs to work with, with the natural things that, that or with things that we consider as being natural elements of, of that kind of consumer experience. And I think that's you know, another problem that, that I've seen largely in, in the health and, and life sciences space, where Technology really has not been designed with the consumer in mind, with the, with the actual user in mind. It's not consumer grade. So as a result, you know, that, that leads to a lot of adoption problems. So I would say you know, those are some key things. Another thing that to me is very important is this idea of a decoupled architecture, decoupled software. So you see, build software that inherently or, or really by design is decoupled from from various uh, other software or from, from underlying infrastructure. So if you wanted to run it, you know, on, on a cloud offering, uh, like Amazon Web Services, you could. If you wanted to run it internally, you could. Uh, you know, and, and it's really a lot of, this kind of goes into this, this uh, thought I have or this concept of software as a theme park where, you know, you have an API gateway uh, that, that acts as, you know, if you like, as, as the physical turnstile that you go through and you get your, your session token, which will be your, your wristband for the day type of thing. And then you're able to traverse different playgrounds and different experiences. And then you're still within the same theme park, but, but they're not, it's not one giant monolithic uh, experience. You know, it's, it's different experiences. You can, you, know, you can pick and choose where you want to go and, and, and you can kind of have different software, if you like, different, different applications that can be composed very quickly from, from singular components that work independently. So that's really, to me, those are important concepts in terms of software design. How do you uh, how do you think about when you're developing a, a big open standard or attempting to develop an open standard? You know, um, one of the, the classic jokes about standards is, you know, my standard is always better than your standard. Right. And, you know, discoverability and, uh, you know, just um, how do you serve all the needs of, of the audience and, and try to take all the stakeholders into account? So, you know, what's that like? trying to develop an open standard from the, I'm going to say, political standpoint and, you know, making sure all the stakeholders are, are taken care of? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. And, and it's, you know, again, in my, in my mind, I differentiate between standards and, and interoperability, right? So, so I'm a big believer in, in interoperability. And I think the way to go is, and again, all you got to do is look at the internet itself and, and see what has worked over the course of time and what has worked at scale. And I think you know, what has worked is, is the open API spec, right? I think that has worked. It, you know, it's, there's clear evidence uh, you know, at a very large scale that that does work. So I'm a big believer in that. Conversely, I'm not really a big believer in, in many what you might consider as data standards because I think data standards, one, are very, they take a long time to adopt, but also your demands and data changes significantly and, and, and you know, in, in rapid ways at times, like as an example, you know, we hear a lot about uh, Internet of Things and, and taking data from, you know, in, in the world of healthcare, if you like, from wearables or, or from 
from um, various nanosensors and things like this. Well, very few data standards you know, were around to deal with that kind of data. It's not your, your traditional data. And, and if you're gonna take a long time to, to build the standards and have all the vendors and, and, and various uh, systems, particularly legacy systems support it, I mean, you, know, you, you may never get there. So to me, when it comes to data standards, I'm much more about, and I think we have the technology now to take very large scale data in different forms, you know, use essentially dynamic indexing, use on-read schema development, use sophisticated search, use APIs to curate data in different forms, as opposed to trying you know, come up with you know, a group of people in a room, spend two years to come up with very, very kind of highly typed or, or very uh, kind of well-defined and strongly typed standards, and, and then try and convince everyone to do so. I just think that's not really gonna work. That's not a practical approach. Right, so, it doesn't move fast enough. No, it doesn't. So, so then I'm, I'm a big fan of, of a data lake, a big fan of using, like I mentioned, dynamic indexing and, and, and you know, some rule engines, a rule engine kind of approach with kind of key uh, metadata and, and things like this that you try and uh, enforce, but, but not, not to have standards for every single element of data and things like that, because I don't think it's a market relevant approach. I think it just takes too much time. Does it become incumbent on every player in the field to, from an interoperability standpoint, if we're not using a strongly typed standard, then you really have to consume and do some ETL on and transact the data in your own middleware. Doesn't that add a ubiquitous cost then to, to doing business in the field, the, the in and out and translation of one to another? It does, and it does, and that was my point at the beginning about you know really thinking machine readable data because if you're if you're transforming as as part of again not just one entity but as an approach uh, taking your data and, and say your data for interaction is let's say JSON uh, as an example so it's machine readable that makes it far easier to deal with because if, if at every step you have to go and convert to transform proprietary data and and, and recreate like middleware accumulators and things like this. That's a very difficult and, and kind of a complex approach. So I think part of this, you know, ledges is not just the technology that we create in, in an interoperable way, but also some education around like data interoperability. And, and, and just, you know, again, this is what we do with Open Farm and our partners. So we tell them, look, we don't care what your source, you know, CSV file or, or you may have PDF or whatever, but the form that we want to be interacting with is, is machine readable. So that, that's part of the, the process for them to kind of get the data into that machine-readable form because from there, it's relatively easy for us to transform it to, to different contexts, right? To do machine learning, to do natural language processing, all kinds of other things. But if you have to build you know, our own proprietary kind of converters and, and, and uh, data transformation services and things like this, you know, we'd never get out of that. I mean, that becomes a, a real kind of onerous process. You know, there's definitely a kind of a cost to be paid. I think that's ultimately, though, if you think big picture, you know, having machine readable data, that really is the answer. I think that, you know, there's no doubt that the phase has gone where humans can deal with data at the, at the level that we have it, at the, not just the volume, but also at the pace with which you know, it's created. Uh, it's really software dealing with software. And for that, we have to have machine readable data. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's incumbent upon the provider to provide it in a machine readable context and form that would allow then other people to consume it, even if they're not following a standard. They are, in fact, following a standard, at least it's JSON or, or something that, that can be consumed at scale. Let me shift gears and just ask you, I, I like to ask all our guests, you know, how do you evaluate what makes someone a really, really excellent senior 
software engineer? What are the heuristics necessary to be a high performing engineer in the current market context? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in what I think are, are fundamental characteristics, regardless of, of what specific function you're doing. I think that in the world of software architecture, I think being curious is really, really important because it's very, very easy to kind of drink your own Kool-Aid and, and think what worked five years ago is going to work now. You know, I, I give you, I mean, there's many, many examples, but, but certainly database architecture is one that's close to, uh, you know, to, to my world. And, and again, what worked 10 years ago, I think fundamentally is, is obsolete now. Even if you look at big data, I mean, you know, big data was a thing, right? Many people now, especially in context of, of machine learning, you know, they would, they would refute how or where big data would fit in, right? You know, there's other ways of going about that. So I think being curious, being, being really able to kind of absorb what's going around you and, and apply it you know, as it's relevant, it's really, really important. I think the other thing is you do need to have a you know, kind of good amount of, of depth technically, right? You, know, you, you do need to, you know, it's, it's, it is a broad job, but if, if you're just broad and, and PowerPoint level, it's not anywhere good enough because you can't really make informed decisions and you can't lead your team. I, I think you have to have some depth. There's many areas you can have depth around, but I think certainly you know, some of the core uh, principles of software development, you know, in my world, certainly uh, microservices architectures is very, very important. And I think uh, the other thing with all this is, is, again, goes back to general characteristics. I think as a software architect, you need to be able to communicate. You need, you need to communicate not just with yourself and, and other people with your own kind of background, but, but really across an organization digest information but be able to kind of parlay it in a way that other people can understand and absorb is really important. You have to kind of practice some some basic psychology, you have to have some some basic uh, kind of ability to um, affect behavior, right? And, and that's more than just you know knowing you know, you know various uh, software development methodologies or, or design patterns or whatever. I think being able to communicate clearly to other people, particularly people you know, who are either your users or, or the sponsors of what you're doing is really important. Otherwise, you really don't move the needle, right? You, and, and then you wind up doing things that are interesting, but are not really that important. I imagine you're someone who has dealt with a lot of engineers on all qualities of the spectrum and had to, you know, bring in all types of personalities and, and that psychology is, is super important there. Well, Jim, thank you so much for the insights today. Sure, thank you, Lech. Enjoyed it and appreciate uh, your time. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.